You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since everybody welcome to the ggtmc we are back does it sound optimistic when i say that doesn't it and oh, I, yeah. i'm feeling optimistic today i'm feeling good feeling okay a little tired not not too bad it is a wonderful time of year i'm oh, sorry that is a terrible Ooh, that hurt <laughs> that hurt me here <laughs> yeah. uh i may have watched uh a Christmas thing or two over the last few days with my daughter. And uh, maybe it's saturated into my brain now. Those, those Christmas specials that are around everywhere right now. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, ever so wonderful Christmas music everywhere you go. I'm being very facetious. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of that stuff. So... <laughs> Not not that I have a problem with Christmas. I don't I don't have a problem with that. I just I have a problem with saturation. Oh, I got a problem with everything, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There we go. <laughs> Welcome to Grumpy Old Men, the podcast. My day. <laughs> we don't like anything. No, it's not true. <laughs> we do like movies. And Some uh, of them, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd argue we like most of them. A couple of them. <laughs> Uh, you, you don't do this if you like most of them. Uh, well, I mean, if you didn't like most of them, I don't think, because otherwise it'd be incredibly painful. And what a waste of time it would be. <laughs> uh, this week we are doing Space Amoeba from 1970, directed by Ishiro Honda. May have heard that name before. May have heard of this fellow. Uh, and Narc from 2002, uh, directed by Joe Carnahan may have heard yes. of that fellow. And um, every time I watch Narc, I'm reminded of the fact that Freakin loved it so much. And I just, I think of him saying Narc. Narc. <laughs> what I really love about Narc. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a Billy Freakin for you this morning. Um, 
So that's what we're doing. Uh, now let's see what we're about to ruin. What are we? Uh, uh, that was a bad rhyme. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> let's get into what we've been watching, and uh, we'll go from there, man. Yeah, there's nowhere to go but up from there. Um, I don't know about that. <laughs> oh no, we can get, we can <laughs> open all. There's definitely always a sub floor. Uh, okay, so uh, let's see what I've been watching. Uh, let's get this out of the way. Speaking of the bottom, um, goodbye, Uncle Tom, 1971. No. So yeah, uh, I mean clearly this is uh, Jaco Petty and Prosperi's most audacious and. Uh, uh, incendiary film. Uh, it's this thing is so insanely Italian uh, in its sleaziness and transgressiveness. Um, but the thing that I find interesting is that it's also extremely ballsy uh, in its approach because the basic premise is that it is it's, um, it's posing as a documentary of the actual slave trade uh, in the 1800s. Yeah. Um, no. And. It really is. I mean, this, this movie is goes over the top more than uh, Africa Blood and Guts, which you could argue is that you could argue that Africa Blood and Guts is more actually authentic. Obviously, uh, this one being much more fictionalized. Uh, you do get uh, Resort Alani doing this really, you know, grossly beautiful sort of score that only accents the uh, the grimy feel throughout the thing. Um, but I think that you really kind of have to wonder just how much the uh, the filmmakers actually thought that they were making a statement versus um, versus their uh, desire to create something that's purely exploitive to turn a buck. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's there, there's certainly enough accusatory staring into the camera lens, um, you know, to to kind of give us that uh, that sort of feel. But but. Uh, by that same token, the ending to this movie <laughs> is uh, let's let's just say infamous, um, and it is so fearmongery. Uh, it's truly stunning to behold. Even though when you hear them explain it, uh, the to them it's not. Um, and I could never quite figure out what's worse, uh, you know, what the film depicts or how it's depicted. Uh, but yet again, um, you know, the, the film, uh, you know, like, uh, Africa blood and guts, I mean, it's visually striking outside of its subject matter. Uh, and for me, at least it's hard to be dismissive about, uh, about this because of its, um, its contradictory nature, even though, you know, it's, it's pretty reprehensible. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't just put it aside or at least I can't, um, but it's not an easy watch, and, and neither of these movies is for different reasons. Hmm. Um, and so that leads me to the uh, the little documentary from David Gregory, uh, Godfathers of Mondo from 2003. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, very informative. It's about, you know, Jacopetti and Prosperi, obviously. And, uh, you know, very informative. It's very, uh, it does get very in-depth uh, and it's not only dealing with their movies together, but their relationship and their methods and philosophy or ethics or however you'd care to, you know, phrase that. Um, I love that right off the bat, they, you know, flat out state, both of them, uh, that objectivity is completely impossible. Um, and when you're, uh, when you're making a film or, or creating any sort of, uh, 
piece of anything uh, in media, um, but that honesty is imperative. Uh, and I think that when you know, uh, upon hearing that, you you get the familiar theory, or at least I do, that uh, you know, villains never think that they're villains, right? Correct. Um, and uh, I don't mean that like like these two guys are villains, you know, necessarily, but uh, it does give us a bit of insight into how they look at uh, their films and how I think we should look at their films, uh, whether, you know, we agree or not with uh, with anything that's portrayed in them. Um, but that being said, the participants here uh, in the documentary are very open about their, uh, their cinematic career. Um, and I think that the, uh, the doc very smartly includes uh, experts on this sort of thing uh, to give us a bit more cultural perspective. Um, so yeah, I mean, even though, and again, this is, you know, even the documentary about these guys is kind of hard to watch cause there's some, there's some footage in here, yep. uh, taken from the, uh, the documentaries that they made that are, uh, you know, is pretty, pretty yeah, rough going. Yeah. You won't escape it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's no, you do not get away from it anywhere. Um, so yeah, so there's that. Um, that was another rewatch. Uh, do, 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 do. I did a rewatch of Logan from 2017 from Mr. James Mangold. Um, and you know, like I said, this is a rewatch, but this is the first time that it, uh, that I watched the noir version. Um, and you know, because that's the, that was the rage for about a hot 10 seconds there. Yeah. Um, mm. and, uh, what was there? There was this, the mist and uh, Mad Max Fury Road, right? We're like the three big ones that everybody said, you have to watch the noir version. You have to watch the noir. Uh, so what the hell? I'll give it a whirl. Um, and watching it like this, I think that, uh, it looks nice, uh, but I can't say that it makes it better, um, particularly, or at least not in my opinion, maybe I'm wrong. Hey, what the hell do I know? But then again, it was filmed to be in color. So, yeah. um, I think what it is is that, you know, these movies, I and mean, I think that something like Mad Max Fury Road or The Mist works a little bit better because it's such, uh, the way that they're shot is a bit more uh, high contrast, mm. uh, than these are. And I may be misremembering, uh, those two movies. Um, well, I'll be finding out on Fury Road. I have that one, uh, for down the pike, uh, in short order. So, yeah. um, the well, hell? I'll watch that one in black and white too. And that, uh, that's the one I've seen most recently of all those. And, uh, I would say that that definitely has high contrast. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, and, um, so yeah, I mean, that's uh, yeah, it was an interesting little, uh, little bump in the, uh, in the trend road there. Uh, but, and listen, I'm not. I'm not besmirching people who prefer it or, you know, or yeah, think yeah, that it's yeah. a good thing. Uh, if you uh, want to do it, do it. Go nuts. Uh, you know, I don't, whatever I don't, knocks your socks off. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about those black and white things sometimes. I mean, sometimes I I think it just really depends on the material and stuff. I just. Well, I mean, not everything not everything is meant to be. There, there is a very, there is a difference between shooting in black and white and shooting in color. There is. Um, and there, I mean, there's no getting around that. So just because you make something turn, change something from black and white to color, uh, or vice versa does not make it any better. And in fact, it, you know, can, can ruin certain things, but I mean, that's getting into a whole Ted Turner discussion right there. Um, I mean, if you look at what he was doing with the, with colorizing and all that sort of shit, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, but regardless, uh, so yeah, that's what this is. And, uh, you know, I, I still think that this is the best wolverine movie uh and it's one of the best x movies overall 
largely because um, this thing, you know, presupposes that the world is fucked uh, and that the mutants just couldn't save it. Uh, and I kind of like that. I kind of like that sort of uh, that sort of nihilism. Um, and you know, this is. I think a fantastic send off to the characters or at least these two characters. Uh, and you know, it's loaded with, uh, with fatalism. Um, I'm particularly a huge sucker for the, uh, the grizzled old badass story, uh, and that sort of thing. And I think that, um, I think that Mangold really wrings every last ounce that he can out of, uh, Stuart and, uh, Jackman. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. You know, the story, it's yeah, interesting exactly. how much better that one is than the one previous, which I think was a yeah, bit right. of a polished turd. Well, the the <laughs> two before this. Well, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say that, but I, there's something about the the turd before that turd. Well, that was the one with the with the Silver Samurai. Yeah, the one before this. No, uh, that was the one with Deadpool, original Deadpool, and was that X Men Origins? Was that the yeah the one yeah the one before this yes was the one with Silver Samurai the Japanese one yeah yeah and I just I couldn't get past it I think it 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 just it it loved itself too much and uh, <laughs> and uh, and the one before that was just it was just a bad venture altogether but at least in some ways I kind of enjoyed it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well it's amazing to me that they could take take a character that's so simple that you know he works for just about everything and still manage to to make a shit. Um, I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty hard trick to pull off, yeah, he's but kinda, they managed to do it multiple times. He's kind of Marvel's point. Batman. You can kind of stick him in anything. Yeah. Right. Uh, he worked. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's like wearing black, you know, it goes with everything. Yes. Uh, but, and yet, you know, we had three movies that just stank to high heaven. Mm. Um, so, I mean, this, the story here is nothing blazingly original, uh, and quite frankly, I I have always kind of not liked the little uh, little twist that they throw in here, uh, as far as the the bad guys are concerned, mm. or I should say the uh, opponents uh, are concerned. Um, you know, but you know these things, these are these uh, what what's the word I'm looking for? Genre things rarely are all that original let's be honest uh and you know more often than not uh it tends to be the singer not the song in terms of quality uh when it comes to this uh this type of product uh and for me at least this one doesn't uh, doesn't disappoint uh it is a little on the flabby side i'll grant it that uh here and there but overall it's it's fun to watch you know i love um boyd hallbrook uh in this though i don't think he's used as well as he could have been um and um the girl um uh, what's her name uh Daphne Keen right I might mm. be wrong about that if I am I apologize uh you know I think she manages to make a nice splash here nice little uh, introduction to uh, the cinematic world or at least as far as I know this was her first uh, her first movie uh and she does well enough here so uh yeah good stuff and like I said it's a nice send off to the uh to the characters so Good for that. Um, and do, 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 speaking of send-offs, I watched It Chapter 2 uh, by, uh, what's his name, Tony Machetti, uh, I think is his name. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah, I really uh, don't know off the top of my head. I'm laughing just because Tony Machetti sounds like a mob name. Yeah, right? <laughs> you know, little Tony. Um <laughs> So yeah, uh, the casting here from children to adults is uh, is pretty spot on. 
the movie overall has uh, some effectively creepy moments, but you know, as these things do, I think that it's better in the moments between the big moments. Um, just like when I'm reading a novel, I've noticed, um, and maybe it's just me, but uh, I've noticed that when I'm reading a, a novel, I tend to want, I, I well, I want to but i won't skim over like the action stuff or or stuff like that and you know everything else is what i want to read which is really weird uh or maybe it's not maybe it's maybe that's uh maybe i'm doing it right i don't know um but uh yeah there you have it uh i think that um what's his uh stephen king does get a nice little uh meta cameo uh and i personally get a kick out of the um all of the characters continually bringing up that the uh, the James McAvoy character can't write good endings, uh, which of course you know yeah, yeah. applies here as well. Uh, yeah. This particular book, uh, you know, though the film the film one works a little bit better uh, than the novel did uh, as far as endings go. Yeah. Um, but Steve, yeah, I, it's one of those. Stephen little... King. One of the things I appreciate about him is he knows that he doesn't do endings well. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's upfront about it. Um, he owns it, but then again, <laughs> he could afford to own it. Yeah. In fairness, um, in fairness to him, though, as somebody who's attempted to write and stuff, I mean, uh, endings are not easy. No, they're not. I, mm-hmm. I think I think most of the best parts of any novel tend to be uh, openings and, and middles. Uh, endings, a lot of times, can be very tough. Yes. Yeah. Well, you got a lot of well. Usually, you got a lot of balls in the air that you got to try to uh, yep. to stick the landing with. So. Yep. Um. Uh, okay, yeah. So the uh, the grownups in this, they kind of act like uh, a bit like caricatures of the kids that they were. Um, but that being said, I think that the acting is uh, uh, pretty solid on both ends of the spectrum, young and old. Um, yeah, I realize that uh, you know the book is like a million pages. Um, but that being said, I also don't know that the adaptation needed to be six hours long in total hmm. uh all things being equal uh i think that the first part the first uh, movie benefits more from its uh this sort of sense of dread that it gets going on where this one here feels more like a collection of monster moments um including a very very specific uh john carpenter's the thing reference um and i i guess that's good because you know i I love monsters so uh i'm i'm always down for that uh as well um but part of the problem that i think happens here is that the the rules seem to be malleable so anything that happens or how things are worked out kind of feels a little bit on the arbitrary side um but overall, uh, these two movies together, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, it's a nice, uh, nice little adaptation. Um, it's an epic. I think it's, yeah, yeah, it is epic. I will grant it that. Yeah. Um, for better or worse. Yeah. Um, it's the Lord of the Rings of horror movies. It really kind of is. <laughs> well, the stand, I guess, would be. But um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, uh, I I uh, I like this. It, it looks well. It looks well. It looks good. The <laughs> fuck am I saying? <laughs> looks swell. <laughs> so Thanks. there you have it. Appreciate it, Dick Tracy. You, I'm I'm saying all this into my uh, my wrist watch as we speak. Uh, I'm going to capture flat top in a couple minutes. Uh, put him in the hoose gal. Yeah. So uh, I moved on from there to uh, 
Oh, wait. I want to make sure that I get the name right on this one. Um, This is The Blood of Wolves uh, from 2018. It is on Shudder. It's directed by Kazuya Shiraishi. um, And it stars... I know what this is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It stars... um, What's his face? Koji Yakusho. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's doing his, you know, he's kind of in between his, uh, his world of Kanako, uh, phase sort of, uh, kind of sort of, uh, so let me put it to you this way. As far as this movie is concerned, you see a pig actually shit, uh, and then the turd gets fed to a guy. Uh, so, I mean, that's a hell of a, and this is like the first like 30 seconds of the movie. Mm. So, you know, it's a hell of a way to kick things off. Um, the Japan, and, Japanese getting mondo. Yeah, I, I dude, I'm not, they're sallow even, but, um, <laughs> Ooh. and yeah, right. Uh, and the film has several moments in it that are just as squirmy. Um, but you know, I think that overall this is a, this is a Yakuza movie very much indebted to the, uh, the Kenji Fukasaku stuff, the battles, battles without honor and humanity series and, and all that sort of thing. Um, and so Koji Yakusho, he does his uh, his usual like half charm, half skank uh, sort of uh, routine, <laughs> um, and there's of course a lot of uh, yelling and dick swinging and uh, you know more characters than I can totally keep up with. Um, although it's a little more straightforward in this one, I think than uh, than these movies can can sometimes get uh, with their uh, their internecine sort of uh, machinations and all that kind of shit. Um, that being the case, I think that the, uh, the rookie partner character, uh, is annoyingly goody goody. Um, but, uh, you know, the movie is energetic. Uh, it's, uh, it's equal parts rough and funny. Uh, and I think that the, uh, the police procedural angle of the thing helps keep things chugging along until, the movie, you know, hits a significant and noticeable sort of lull uh, right around the uh, like the midway, a little more towards the third act, and then it, it becomes almost a different movie, uh, like entirely. Um, but overall, I'd say it's solid stuff. Uh, it's certainly uh, well worth a watch. Um, it's a little over two hours long, so yeah, it is. You know, as, as these things tend tend to be a bit on the the. the Long in the tooth side of things, it's but an, um, it's an epic pig scat film. It is that, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so much pig scat. Um, but there's you know, there's a lot of people, and you know, you get a lot of the like I said, there's a lot of the good that good fun, uh, yelling that you get from uh, from all yakuza and or people getting yelled at by their bosses in Japan, you know, with the uh, that sort of thing. I'm trying not to uh, sneeze that we love so much. Ooh, man, I had to turn down real quick, I sneezed like a son of a bitch. Oh bless you. Woo. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the Blood of Wolves. It is on. Uh, it is on Shutter uh, for uh, for everyone to uh, to view uh, if you uh, have Shutter. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty good stuff. I would uh, I'd give it a recommend. Uh, I wouldn't put it in any kind of pantheon, but uh, yeah, it's uh, good. Uh, it's funny on... you mentioned that. I've I thought about that during Space Amoeba. I mean, every. Even though it's not the the cut I watched was not in Japanese, it just felt like everybody was yelling all the time. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that so much. Uh, it, you, know, you want to talk about a hallmark of uh, regional filmmaking? 
That would be one of them. Um, what did a rewatch of uh, My Neighbor Totoro from 1988? Um, and there's, you know, I, I don't think there's really too much you could say about this uh, or Miyazaki in general. Um, Jack O'Petty like, and uh, whatever he is not. <laughs> No, he is much more. Uh, well, I don't know. Yeah, he he I've heard he's done some shady shit to uh, to weird uh, fairy tale characters to get them to, to perform. Uh, um, never know. Yeah. Hey, no. Uh, uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, this movie is it's pure. Uh, it's just this sort of pure magic. Um, it you know defies just about every. Uh, Western standard for, you know, both cartoons and storytelling, um, which can be a little bit odd for people looking at it, uh, for the first time. But at the, at that same time, um, it really is enthralling, uh, with that sort of wonder, uh, you know, that, that marvel of, uh, of nature and, and all that sort of thing. And it's just, it's just a pleasant movie. Uh, it's, you know, you can't really look at it with cynical eyes, even if you are a cynical person, I think it disarms you in that, in that way. Um, and it really is just, you know, marvelously made, uh, and just, uh, you know, a blast, uh, to watch. So yeah, my neighbor Totoro, there you go. Um, and then I did a watch of, uh, deceptive practice, uh, from 2012, a documentary by Molly Bernstein about, uh, Ricky J. Oh, and yeah. uh, it's not just a bio uh, of the late great Mr. Uh, Mr. J. Actually, his last name I think was Podash. Um, but uh, it's also uh, a, a fascinating little trip into the history of magic and performing. Yeah. Um, and I like that about this. Yeah. And I like that you know there's I don't know how I should say the uh, the authenticity of uh, Ricky J always comes through. Uh, which is why he's always been one of my favorite, you know, unlikely actors. Um, I'm intrigued by what he doesn't tell us. Uh, you never feel like you've gotten through all of the onion layers with him. Uh, and I would really love to hear about some of the more unsavory characters he was familiar with. And it's kind of hinted at here, but it's never really got into in, uh, in any sort of depth. And, you know, rightfully so, uh, because, I mean, it's one of those things, always leave them wanting more. Mm-hmm. And I think the mystery is part of what makes it so special. Um, it, uh, it feels odd to me, uh, seeing Ricky Jay with, uh, with such long hair when he was young, like back in the seventies. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like freaky. I mean, it almost looks like a, a, a shtick from like, um, mm. uh, what the fuck is it? That, uh, oh, what was the Ron Howard, uh, show with, uh, Jason Bateman. Damn it. Arrested Development. Uh, yeah, it looks like a, a shtick from that. But, um, yeah, it, it's just weird. Uh, but it's also, you know, it's also kind of odd uh, learning that uh, he studied Aikido. Uh, so, I mean, you know, like I said, the man has many, many layers going on in there. Yeah. Uh, and I love listening to him talk, too. He's one of those guys you could just listen to talk uh, because he has a way of uh, of unspooling a story and uh, – you know, just his diction in general. Uh, yeah. You love listening to the to the guy just kind of go. Um, I think that on the the technical side, I think the documentary is uh, it's solid. Uh, it's well paced, well edited, and I think that uh, Molly Bernstein does a pretty nice job varying up shot angles uh, in the interview and their performance footage to keep things visually interesting enough. Um, 
I noticed here and there, and maybe it's just me, but there's a couple of uh, transitions that are very much uh, inspired by uh, Errol Morris and the Thin Blue Line. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just a couple times here and there. Uh, and there's also a wealth of archival material here. And, I mean, that's almost that almost amplifies the uh, the value of this thing like a hundredfold as far as I'm concerned because, you know, let's be honest, nine out of ten uh, cinephiles would never see most of this stuff otherwise. Mm. Um, so, you know, if you if you come for the uh, the Ricky J, you stay for the uh, the the history lesson uh, and all this stuff that uh, that you would never see and, and, you know, may very well have vanished had it not been documented here. Uh, which is, you know, it's a very, very good possibility. Um, and do, 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 yeah, that is all that I watched, buddy. Nice. So, uh, yeah, for the record, I watched nothing. So there you there go. There you go. <laughs> Moving right along. D- Space Amoeba. I'm pretty, uh, I'm pretty sure though, that I think that Ricky J documentary, I think was on my best of list one year. Uh, I would imagine it was. Yeah, it's really good. It's really, really good. I it liked it a really lot. Good. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, there's something about magicians. There's an air of mystery. And I think the best ones are good storytellers as well yeah. as, you know, magicians, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know if people know this or not, but magic doesn't exist. Uh- <laughs> Whoa. Pump the brakes there, pal. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, the great thing about magic, like... Um, you know, we make a joke here, but the great thing about magic, similar to like any kind of carnival thing or wrestling or anything, the great thing about it is in the sleight of hand of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. There's an art to that. So, well, it's just it's amazing. This, I mean, it's it's mind boggling. You know what it is? It's kind of like it's kind of like how um, you know I I tend to go on and on about you know practical effects and all that sort of thing. Mm. And uh, hold on one second. I had to clear my throat. Anyway, uh, so, um, yeah, it's kind of like how how uh, how I go on and on about practical effects. And the thing is that you know you hear about these these things where somebody is doing something which your brain tells you is completely impossible, and they're doing it within inches of you, and yet uh, you're, you're sitting there and you're watching it happen, and you're like, "How the fuck did that happen? How yeah. the fuck did that work?" Yeah. And it's the same sort of thing with the, with practical effects. You're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, "How did they pull that off?" Even when the the effects are are not good, uh, particularly, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. or if you know they're extremely rubbery, you still have that thing going on where somebody had to think their way through this uh, and you know actually build with their hands something that would you know has to work for x amount of seconds on screen uh and it's the same sort of uh same sort of idea going on and when they're and then when they're really well done um you know stuff like the uh the jumping speaking of the thing again uh the jumping uh blood specimen uh scene in the thing um when they're really really well done then you're just like oh shit they got me um and you're you know, trying to figure it out even though now I, you know most people would know how that was done in the first place mm-hmm. um but that's that's kind of the, the same sort of thing that I get with the with magicians, right? Yeah. I mean, does that make sense? No, it does. Okay, that's where the magic is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For lack of a better term. Yes, indeed. Yes. All right. Yeah, I don't have anything. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything I got to talk about here in the opening, but I don't think I have anything. Hmm. Um. No. 
nothing, 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 not even a, not even a comic book. Um, Damn it. Nothing. Uh, no, nothing. Oh, I did read uh, uh, Sergio Tuppy's uh, The Collector, uh, the whole the whole collection of The Collector. I don't know if you've ever read that. I have not. It's very good. Um, I'm actually surprised it hasn't ever been a movie. It's really? kind, of a, kind of got a Western feel, a little bit of a horror feel. Uh, How old is this? Uh, it's been around for a while, the 70s, uh, something like that, yeah. Okay. I'd always meant to read it, never got around to it. So it was on, uh, uh, since I've been abusing the hell out of my Comixology uh, subscription oh. lately. Uh, so it was on there as part of the Amazon Prime thing. And I was like, download and read. <laughs> and uh, it's quite nice. And the art's very nice, too. So cool. there we go. Had to get something out there. Some type of yeah, tip. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to take a short break. Come back and talk about Space Amoeba. Speaking of effects that uh, they figured out, and then you can quite easily figure out uh, very quickly <laughs> what's going on. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Devo. Devo always works. <laughs> yeah. You whipped it. I whip it. Whooped it? That's what I think you say nowadays. I don't think you say whipped it anymore. You're not allowed to say that? I don't think you're allowed okay. to say that anymore. Well, I, I don't want to get canceled, so I'll change. <laughs> yeah. You got to be careful what you say. <laughs> <laughs> you bet me? Uh, yeah. No. Uh, Space Amoeba, 1970, also known as Gazora, Ganimi, Kamiba, <laughs> Kesanake, no Dadaka, no Dakaju, or whatever you want to say. Jesus. Longest title oh, ever in Japanese, eh? <laughs> I believe those are the names of all the monsters. Yes. In the yeah. film, right? Kizura, Ganyme, and Kameba are the, yeah. the three monsters. And I think one of these made an appearance again later uh, in a Godzilla film, if I remember. I feel like the turtle showed up again. No. Um, was it the crab or was it the puss? <laughs> no. It was the, well, it would kind of have been the crab, even though, uh, I mean, it, it kind of became Ibira, yeah. um, which was a giant lobster. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's very, very, very similar. Pro tip. Uh, you want to keep the crabs away from the puss. <laughs> 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 or you'll be walking like a turtle. You'll be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It might sneak up in there. <laughs> Ooh. 
It's pro tip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that joke was just laying there. I had to kind of get it. This, starting this one off with a bang. Huh? Yeah. It was like a turtle on its back. It was just laying there. It really was. Um, like a, like a <laughs> turtle coming out the poop. Yeah. Anyway. I'll have comments about the turtle. The, uh, the uh, projected uh, neck of the turtle. Really, really made me have thoughts during the uh, some about of the Ram, about Ram Man. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, wasn't exactly Ram Man. I was thinking of <laughs> you were thinking of Ram and something. Though. Uh, yeah, uh, a space probe is infiltrated by alien beings and then crashes on a remote Pacific atoll. True. So it's very rare that we get to use the word atoll on the uh, atoll at all. <laughs> we don't get to use atoll at all on the show very often. Uh, and then you get into uh, very some 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 very Americanized type plots driven stuff with uh, a whole group of people trying to build a resort hotel on a nice island and stuff, but it's overrun by uh, monsters, and obviously they want the natives out of there and stuff. So that that seems very American in a weird way, but. Um, this is essentially a kaiju film, but a uh, kind of a unique one or a different type of one. Kind of like uh, War of the Gargantians was to me or Frankenstein Conquers the World or something. Just, they're kind of different, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, not telling you anything you don't know. I've never seen Space Amoeba. Oh, really? Okay. This was the first time. I've always known about it. It's just one of those ones I've never kind of gotten around to. Mm-hmm. So, it was kind of interesting to go and check this out. So, I can lead on this, obviously, if you want me to. Yeah, go uh, ahead. So it does have that very 50s sci-fi feel mm-hmm. and very much the kaiju feel in general um, with the characters. And it really doesn't, you know, it doesn't waste a lot of time. Although with this genre, I always, I always, I, I feel like I always say this, but, you know, I think I, it has to be said. The mo- These movies are really at their most interesting most of the time when the monsters are involved. If they're not, a lot of times the characters are just kind of cardboard cutout kind of narrative pieces to kind of move things forward. Yeah, yeah, they 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 have to be. Yeah, the, these well, especially by this point, uh, these sort of movies they really are. They tend to be plot centric, kind of like DC Comics. Yeah. Boom! There's your there's your comic book moment. Ouch. Uh, the characters, you know, just have to be personable enough, and their actions just need to get us to the next beat. Yes. And I think that that's pretty much what we have here because you get the uh, the the Kudo character, the main character. Uh, you know, he's he's okay as this you know grizzled photographer, but you know he's just. Um, He's just like everybody else. He's really just kind of like a cog in this machine, yeah. Uh, driven by the fantastic elements of the movie and the and the uh, the visual effects, uh, the special effects, and all that stuff. Yeah, um, I, it feels like everybody's that way in the movie yeah, in a weird yeah, yeah. way, uh, except for maybe in 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 some ways the Obata character a little bit is interesting, but I think he's got more of an arc than anybody else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, you talked about the Kudo character, that uh, gentleman. I remember him from um, Throne of Blood. He was in Throne of Blood, Akira Kubo. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, he was he was in a ton of uh, of these movies, of the kaiju movies. Yeah, um, but he's got a very memorable face. And uh, we get the uh, the native girl Saki Yukiko Kobayashi. Mm-hmm. A little Yukiko mm-hmm. Kobayashi action. <laughs> which everybody was clamoring for yeah well she in, uh, isn't in a whole lot of stuff but i, I think no. uh probably maybe destroy all monsters she's probably known for that probably outside of this maybe and mm-hmm. a couple other things she didn't do a whole lot but she's uh she's got something you know there's the, the other actors in the film too and i'm probably you know i'm not as familiar with these actors so chances are um you know i probably know them from samurai films and things like that but chances are 
Uh, I'm misleading our listeners by not mentioning some major thing, but uh, and most of the people in it, I don't feel like I've seen in a lot of stuff outside of those two. Uh, and even then, Yukiko Kobayashi, I again, I just I obviously destroy all monsters is one I've seen. So, mm-hmm. um, so we get a doctor uh, character who needs to go check out this island because he's heard these myth of these monsters, and this gets yeah. into all that kind of stuff we talk about with Japanese films of this uh, ilk, and uh, and I use that word in a in a loving way because I mean obviously they're the only country that's ever survived a or ever been bombed by a nuclear mm-hmm. weapon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they've been processing that pretty much ever since, and in some way. And then they had another nuclear disaster um, in some ways, um, you know, in many ways, uh, not too long ago with the uh, tsunami ish- in- incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, so nuclear energy and contamination and mutation is a big part of their culture. And of yes. course, seafood. <laughs> yes, they like seafood, and yeah. we get a lot of that here. Yes. But, well, the setup of the movie is very—it's very King Kong uh, it is. in a lot it of is. ways. It's yeah, very it much a rip on uh, King Kong, which they, which they were really kind of fascinated with uh, that character, yes. um, especially from like 1963 uh, on, when they got the rights for a brief moment in time there. Yeah. Uh, to make uh, King Kong escapes and um, King Kong versus Godzilla, and they had a bunch of stuff that was in the in the works. That never panned out, uh, and it went back and forth with RKO and Marion Cooper and you know Willis O'Brien and all these people in Toho, and they just never got anything else off the ground. But um, but that's I mean essentially what the the story setup is uh, here was you know they gather a crew to investigate an unknown island for some form of exploitation down the road. Yeah, and here it's you know it's to build a resort. I mean yeah, uh, in King Kong it's to uh, you know to capture uh, to film. Um, you know, native life, wildlife, and all that sort of thing. And yeah. then to, to capture Kong and bring him back to society. I, Although I don't think they want to take any of these guys back to society. With no, them. no, no, no. The, uh, I, I did say, I didn't think the, uh, I read, I don't know this, so I'm not going to act like I'm, I know all the Japanese uh, history of cinema and everything like that. But I read in the trivia here that it uh, was the last uh, studio picture uh, from uh, Toho. Uh, studio actors, studio uh, folks. I think after this, they kind of went into the, you know, basically the movie system that we all are in nowadays. Right, right, right. Yeah, no, I that I don't know, but yeah, yeah. I think it was the last Toho Studio picture. Okay. So using using uh, Toho uh, Studio workmen, uh, you know, grips, all that stuff, actors, the stable, mm-hmm. using the stable mm-hmm. essentially. Um, yeah. So we get a lot of uh, yeah. Well, I don't know if we get a lot, but we certainly get some kind of preludes to what we're going to deal with. You know, there's an actual turtle at some point, so we see the turtle. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we know we're going to be dealing with that turtle more later. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I don't mind the kaiju characters in this one. Uh, and i tell you why. Well, it's because they're so different. But I, I think they're both very cool and very to their detriment in what they are. Because although a squid slash octopus is a very fluid animal in water, yep. Yep. my mind... I love the scene, and I'm kind of perplexed by it at the same time. My mind is blown when the squid octopus comes out of the water. <laughs> Didn't see yes. it coming at all. I remember yeah. thinking, oh, this is going to be one of them kaiju films where everybody fights in the water. They fight in the Toho tank. Yeah, yeah, The, yeah. the whole movie. And uh, no, 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 no. They bring it out. <laughs> yeah. 
They're yeah, yeah. well, they're they're kind of they're kind of limited by their nature. These uh, these yeah. uh, particular monsters are. It's like a it's like a wrestling show where they where they uh, you know they start in the ring, but then they wrestle everywhere else. <laughs> That's a good analogy. Well, it is. Go. It really is kind of like that, and uh, it's it's cool. Uh, I mean, I I really enjoy the movement of the uh, squid character. Mm-hmm. I say squid because they say squid, but I think sometimes they say octopus. I don't know if they can make up their mind what it is, but. Well, I think that the, yeah, it's just kind of one of those interchangeable. It looks sort of more things. like a squid to me than it does. Yeah, a, it's more. Yeah, it's it's just squid. More squid-like. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting to me that they they introduce the three monsters. You know, and obviously their their names are in the Japanese title. Yes. Um, but they introduce them as if they're anything other than one-offs, right? <laughs> yeah. Because because I think that you know by this point in time, uh, monsters were certainly uh, personalities. Uh, and that was like a thing uh, by this point in time. So uh, I just I find that really fascinating, you know, especially since these guys are just these are kind of like almost uh, ham and eggers, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Um, if you want to get into uh, wrestling parlance there. Yeah. 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 yeah like they're like uh, hands, you know, the good hands or what mm-hmm. are you doing? the carnival mm-hmm. carnival parlance there. <laughs> but that's what they are. Um, Yokoyama, the character. Has some serious PTSD. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. And there's uh, one of the most interesting things about this movie is the way, and I think one of the most interesting things about the genre in general is the way people process this stuff. Um, obviously, you know the genre has no basis in reality outside of mutations and and nuclear energy and things causing uh, changes to nature, but even with saying that some of the the acting in this is a bit of a stretch mm-hmm. um and it, it and again it, it's in english at least the version i watched was uh the version that's on amazon prime we should say mm-hmm. uh i don't know if it had an option to play japanese or not i don't know i didn't i didn't even check i just kind of went with it put it on and started going it's only 83 minutes long so it's a nice breezy little watch it's not yeah, yeah. it's not a big commitment uh and there's Probably, if anything, there's probably less monster stuff than you think. Yes. Which I think might be to its detriment because I think the the problem here is we get a posse of folks and they aren't, to me, they don't really gel right. They're not really as interesting as a group. Uh, The Wild Bunch, they are not. Let's put it that way. And uh, I think the movie struggles there. I think, and again, this is the thing. I think, you know, with these films, I think, it's hard to root for an, uh, a human being because the human beings are less interesting than the kaiju itself. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. I think that's a problem with the genre. Uh, and it always has been. And now I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Sometimes that's a good thing. Um, in this case, it's a good thing. Um, and in certain Godzilla films, I think it's a good thing. But I think uh, I've always I've always wondered why they have so much trouble kind of uh, getting the kind of thematic elements down or the to get real emotion into these things. I don't know if it's the lack of commitment to the rubber monster or the too much commitment to the rubber monster. I don't know what it is, but then again, it's it's a cultural thing too. I mean, no other country makes movies like these. Uh, that's one yeah. thing you can say about kaiju films. I mean, they're they're unique to Japan. Other people have tried. Other people have done some things, but I still think only one country does this and does it well. And uh, it will always be that way, I believe. I just think it's unique to them. 
um, which is weird because it's not even like an American Western because, you know, Westerns can be done by any country. Yeah. And um, even they just take the elements and stuff. You would think that Kaiju would be able to be, you know, you would think that that would be able to be made in other places. And maybe it is if you look at it in some ways. Maybe Starship Troopers is a Kaiju film. I don't know. We could sit here and talk about it, but I mean, maybe well, in some any, ways they I mean, are. Tech, I mean, if you want to really get really, really technical, then yeah, I mean, just about any movie that has monsters in it would be considered a kaiju movie. Yeah. Um, but it's a specific type that you get in Japan, and obviously that's that they're you know they're they're outsized, they're giant, they're daikaiju. Uh, I do believe is the actual word that they yeah. use for giant monsters. Um, to get nerdy there for a minute, <laughs> yeah. um, but. I, yeah, I mean, these movies are extremely indebted to uh, the American 50s sci-fi movies. Yes. Um, and in the same sort of way, they have that sort of utilitarian sort of feel to them. And uh, I think that, you know, it's just kind of there's an audience expectation for payoff um, that uh, depending on how you know well done they are, or how well paced they are, you're either going to get or you're not. And I think that out of everybody who who directed these things, obviously Honda would be the, the kind of, uh, the godfather of, the, of all of them because he, he kind of got the formula down and he got it down first. Uh, and he really kind of developed it and, and went with it, even though, you know, I'm sure that I don't know how much he, he loved making these, these particular movies, uh, so long as he was making movies, I'm sure he was happy enough, but, mm. um, but yeah, no, it's, it's interesting that, the, that they never really do quite work as well when they deal with people, um, which is always, you know, that's one of the things that they kind of tried to work on when we got into the nineties and, and, and onward. Uh, and it still didn't a hundred percent work, but they did try to, to make the, the, um, the human elements more interesting. It just didn't work. I think because it was still indebting itself to American tropes when I think that it should have been its own thing. Yeah. Uh, and I think they should have just gone on and, you know, gone and tried to see what it could do. But then again, there's so much money that they're throwing into these things that it's kind of, you kind of have to, um, kind of have to mass appeal it in the same sort of way that, you know, what you get with, uh, with superhero movies, right? You have to, when you're spending $200 million, uh, you kind of need to, um, hit as many demographics as you possibly can. And yeah. I, I, I can appreciate that up to a point. Um, but I certainly think that, yeah, the Japanese did it better than anybody else ever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's a certain amount of boxes that got to be ticked, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, overall, though, I think the movie's pretty good. I mean, uh, I, I kind of wish in a weird way that it would... I think it would have been played better if it would have been in black and white. Speaking of our kind of conversation we had about the noir edition of Logan. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I kind of wish this one would have been in black and white. I think it would have worked better, but I, I think it's, oh, it, it still works. Yeah, I think it, it still works fine. Don't get me wrong. It still works fine. Yeah, it's, it's not... This isn't top tier, and you can see that it's certainly late cycle uh, for this sort of thing in general. I think there was only uh, another, what, five years of Godzilla movies. Uh, I think 75 was Terror of Mecha Godzilla, and then they kind of put it to bed for a while. So, um, yeah, this was certainly late cycle uh, in the... Uh, the Toho Kaiju thing. And I think it was also late cycle for Honda uh, himself. He wasn't really doing them that much at this point. And I think uh, he took off for, I think three or four movies of the Godzilla cycle and then came back for the very last one. Um, and I don't remember the exact history uh, as to why that was, although I've certainly read it. Um, and uh, of course my, you know, elderly mind is not uh, going <laughs> to serve me this morning. So yeah. there you have it. 
your recall is not as good on the stuff you it used to read. It is not. It is not total, as Arnold would say. It's like, you know, there's certain like samurai films and uh, westerns that I used to be able just to recall random bits of trivia from that I can't remember shit anymore. <laughs> I need my notes. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so at some point, the characters in the film, you know, they have to stand up to the monsters. And that's always the most unique thing to me about these movies is the, you know, they're creatures, uh, quote unquote monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're one of a kind, but obviously yeah, we have to destroy them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's always very interesting to me, that aspect of these stories. Now I get it. It's a monster movie. None of it's real anyway, all that kind of good stuff. But you have to wonder, you know, about this destruction, if it's not a comment from the Japanese themselves on kind of the way that Americans saw them when they dropped the bomb, that uh, they had to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you have to wonder that. I mean, I, I don't see how you don't wonder that, uh, to be honest with you, because otherwise doesn't it, it kind of goes against all science and, and nature to just destroy creatures, right? Well, I think that that's, yeah, I, I'll, I'll be honest, I've never really thought about it that way, although there certainly have been, well, I've never thought about it that in depth. I mean, it certainly occurred to me, but yeah, sure. um, it, 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 I think that that's something that we've seen and we've kind of seen um, the uh, with the, the Takeshi Shimura character in the original Godzilla mm-hmm. uh, and then the... Uh, the guy who who creates the oxygen destroyer in the first Godzilla as well. They have this problem. They have this struggle with, you know, I've I've done this thing. Why can't you know? Why do we have to destroy this uh, this creature when we can learn so much from it? We can you know yes. take its resistance to radiation and all that sort of thing, and you know do something good with it. Um, and you know that's kind of the problem is well you know at what's the cost of uh, of that knowledge? Uh, and it's it's an interesting debate to have but i mean eventually it's going to just boil down to the the thing that these things boil down to which is you know monster bad have to destroy it yeah survival um, survival is what it comes down to and, sure yeah yeah yeah. and that's you know another kind of i think another again another psychological component of nuclear disaster and all that kind of stuff i mean you know obviously i'm going into the deep end here when i talk about that stuff and and really you know you could talk about that for days upon days and i don't think it it really necessarily is warranted with this movie but at the same time it's there and i I think it should be discussed because i mean it's definitely a part of the culture and something we've never had to deal with here but then if you think about after 9-11 if you think about how some of our some of the stories we were telling after that i think you could i think because it was in the zeitgeist it was in our heads and everything else you can see some of that natural disaster of that taking place in some of the stories we were telling. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just think it's interesting how us as, as human beings across cultures can sometimes take, uh, the effects of tragedy, whether they're intentional or not, can, uh, sometimes affect our storytelling and our, the way we live our lives. Right. So mm-hmm. that's just an interesting element to these stories. A little, you know, a little bonus, I think to it that, that adds a lot, and then you know that 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 comes from all art, you know, not just exploitation. You know, it comes from from all art. You know, it comes from novels and, and paintings, and you know, comic books, everything. You you, you name it. Uh, things that happen in our world are you know definitely transcribed into the things we create. So it's the that's always one of the most fascinating things about 
these genres to me. Because on the surface, it's just guys in big rubber suits. Yep. Yeah. But I think underneath, there's a lot more going on than that. So. Well, yeah, it's one of those things where you know you you can or you're if yeah if done right you can satisfy uh, both the the kiddies and the uh, the adults. Yes. Um, I think all the three of the monsters are pretty well done. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, the lumbering of the, the squid is the most interesting cause you can definitely tell it's somebody, it looks like me walking up and down steps at 47 with one leg at a time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that, yeah, it's, it's out of, out of the three, he's the most interesting. He's certainly the most popular. Um, and yeah. I think that that's because. Uh, he kind of looks a little bit on the goofy side with the giant eyes. Yes. Uh, I think that the other two, well, and plus, I mean, yeah, the whole, the whole, the whole point to how he, uh, he moves around in the first place is just otherworldly to us. But the other two, um, the Ganyme and, uh, Kamiba, they look much more threatening with like there, there's spikes and and all this shit on them and they look a lot less cartoony in design. Yes. Uh, and I think that's what makes them less memorable mm-hmm. is that they're more realistic in yeah. a way. Certainly, certainly turtle. Uh, although I will say crab is kind of memorable. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm, for, I mean, for me, they're all, they're all memorable, but yeah, I've always I'm just talking about, I'm just talking about why I think why, why they work yeah. or don't work. Always been disturbed by the, uh, little, uh, I don't know what those things are called in front of a crab's, uh, mouth. Those, oh God, uh, I don't know. Yeah, but those, they are fucking freaky. Those little uh like little feet, like almost like a tongue or whatever they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very you see them fucking going like a piano or something. Yeah. Uh not a big fan of uh certain close ups of crustacean. <laughs> Similar to like Lovecraft not digging fish. I'm not digging the crustacean up close. Mm mm. And of course, you know no. I grew up in the eighties. Crabs, come on. No, 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 I don't know what I'm that's a bad joke, sorry. Um <laughs> So at some point in our story, though, we get into some uh, some mad science a little bit. Uh, so evidently, sonar of some sort is uh, is bad for our uh, our big creatures, which is an interesting touch. Um, there's a lot of bat destruction, yeah. and uh, not in the baseball kind of way. And uh, it's that's interesting, an interesting little tidbit. And it, it, it's I don't know how much of it's based in reality. It's kind of faux science. It's fun that they mm-hmm. kind of go this route. And I think that the you know the scenes with the cave and stuff there there could have been room for some some good drama building there. Uh, I think they drop. I think Honda drops the ball because I think again at the end of the day this is a monster movie. But um, I think you know that that would have been if there would have been time for character building and everything else. I always think that's if you got a bunch of characters up against a larger than life threat, usually getting them in, uh, you know locked inside some type of building or a cave or something like that is usually a good time to you know work some drama out to transcribe right. some things right so yeah well yeah but i mean and then yeah i think we're in agreement when we say that these these movies aren't really no. interested in that uh in that aspect of no. them. and you know i find it interesting that you're talking about faux science and i love that the uh the dr mia's very first explanation for the monsters is is space creatures i mean that <laughs> right off the top of his head yeah. that's what he goes with yeah he, he's not and wasting he's, any time Dude, this this cat's pretty quick to uh, to throw out a whole raft of theories yeah. uh, as to how they operate, and he's always right, yes. right? Because yeah. these guys are always you know spot on. Well, you would be too if you wore that hat. Uh, <laughs> Touche. Yeah, he's got the uh, nice Savari uh, survivalist hat going. 
mm-hmm. which is always fun. I, I can't remember if one side of the bill was uh, was pinned or not, but I feel like it uh, was. I don't remember. I feel like it might have been. I could be. I could be wrong. Um, but I, you know, I just think you know that's. I I, I probably am overthinking it, and and it might sound like I'm harder on these movies than I am than I should be. I don't mean to be. I just I think you gotta have. You know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love monsters too. I do. I mean, I'm a, I'm a kid who grew up loving monsters, but for me, monsters are more. I don't know if they're. I don't know if the word's rooted in reality because I don't know what that would actually mean if I sat and actually thought about what I'm saying when I say that. Mm-hmm. Because there's no such thing as well, arguably, there's no such thing as a monster. But you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't know why for me processing this is more difficult than processing a Wolfman or right. a Frankenstein's monster. Maybe. It just maybe it's just what you grow up with, but I mean, I grew up with these features too. You know, I grew up with them on TV every weekend. Well, I, I think what it is is that these things they're kind of hot. They're I think what it is is because they're so open. They're they're very hard to hide in the dark. Hmm. Um, where stuff like a Wolfman or a zombie or something like that could be like under your bed. You know, Godzilla ain't hiding under your bed, right? No. Uh, so I think that, and it, plus there's that, that whole, that whole fantasy element that you get automatically in these, in these sort of things. And there's a level of, um, of artificiality that you get just from the, the sets that they, you know, would, uh, would do these things on. Right. Uh, I think it makes it, you know, automatically a bit more, um, uh, dissociated, uh, it might be the best word Probably. I can think of right Probably. now. Cause for me, there's a disconnection at some point, but I, but I but the some of those workman like parts of the films are my favorite parts, like the miniatures and everything like that. That's my favorite stuff. Oh yeah, it's great. It's great to watch. It's yeah, great to watch. The um Well again, getting back to, you know, magic and practical effects. Yeah. That's you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, and this one is it's kinda of fun because you get to see some bodies thrown around, which you don't always mm-hmm. get to see, I think, in this in this genre. You sometimes get to see a body or somebody screaming that's being held by a monster, but in this one the, the monsters get a little violent. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, throw yeah. some people around, you know, crush some people, squeeze some people to death, uh, things like that. And uh, I think that's kind of fun. I mean, it, it it looked obviously if I was to sit and look at it with a critical eye, it'd be easy to poke fun at it. But you know, for what it's going for, it works. And uh, you know, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed those aspects of the story, and I was actually kind of surprised by that. I was kind of surprised at the kind of viscerality of the. Uh, the kind of squid attacks and and things like that. I was, you know, there's not blood or anything. It's typical for this genre, but there is a a sense of danger more so than I think you really get from a Godzilla film where he's just stomping on. I mean, obviously, you know, people are probably dying, quote unquote, in those films. But uh, in this one, you you really see it. So yeah, it's a little more intimate yeah. in that sense. Yeah. yeah, and I think that you know that those aspects really work. Uh, for the story and for the strength of the the threat that uh, Honda's trying to uh, portray with the monsters. Overall, though, I, th- I think the movie's good. I, the final battle is is interesting because you know we joke. I joked about the turtle head, and it's it's pretty comical out of context. It's uh, I'd be surprised if there's not YouTube video out there or something of uh, <laughs> this elongated, uh, very excitable turtle um, <laughs> getting a little too excited at times. And, uh, we've all been there. It's a little, it's a little clunky though. I gotta say, 
that uh, battle between the crab and the turtle. I mean, they, they do the best they can. Right. But it, I, I think it's, I don't know. I think once the octopus is gone, and again, I'm not using the names here, so forgive me. But I think once the octopus is gone, I think for me, the movie loses some steam a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, then, you know, you're relying heavily on the turtle and the crab. Uh, I do think there's a nice moment of comeuppance and uh, I don't know, chivalry maybe is the right word. I don't know if that's the case, but I do think there's a nice moment of that kind of mixed in and some kind of fun photography mixed in there. And, uh, you know, you can kind of see how the bread is made and everything. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I think all that stuff's kind of nice and there's a quaintness to that that's kind of comforting. Uh, again, you know, I watched these movies too growing up on uh, Saturday matinees. You know, I'd get up early and after cartoons were over, we'd watch these kind of movies. So, you know, they've been a part of my life. Uh, I just have always had a tough, tough, tough time reviewing them critically. But mm-hmm. for overall, though, I enjoyed this movie. I don't think it's I don't think it's great, um, but it's uh, it's an enjoyable watch. But I'll kick it over to you. All righty. Um so uh yeah i mean this was uh this was made at the time when the the space race was still a thing uh as was the idea of uh science and progress causing unintended consequences and so we get that sort of thing going on as well and like i said it's all that indebtedness towards the the 50s sci-fi um i really like the idea of the whole uh native superstition proving true uh, but not for the reasons that they believe. Um, yeah. But then this this only kind of fuels uh, their beliefs even more, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because in these kinds of movies, you know, monsters exist. Yeah. Um, and I like that. I like that. And I think that that's one of the, the more interesting aspects of this uh, particular uh, take on it. Um, but this, of course, means that we get some unfortunate brown face performances for the natives uh, here and there. Yikes. Um, and we also get the uh, the usual uh, island ritual scene that uh, that Honda loved to uh, to get in there any time that he would have any kind of remote island, uh, and certainly was the case with all the, the movies involving Mothra and uh, you know King Kong versus uh, Godzilla to begin with. Um, in uh, in that sort of classic Toho fashion, uh, the human bad guy, the Obata character, uh, is coded uh, as such just by the way that he looks. Um, and most importantly, because he has permatinted glasses on, uh, which, you know, you could always tell who the bad guy is uh, because they will either have some uh, some weird Van Dykian sort of uh, facial hair and or permatint glasses. Yeah, which he has both. Um, and he's got both. Uh, so that's double strike. Um, there, um, yeah, since there's no cities to destroy the monsters do have to content themselves with uh, some huts and forestry to uh well and each other uh to uh, to kind of uh you know tear apart and you know i think that by and large for me at least it, it still works uh for the most part um i think that uh i think that honda does a pretty solid job though i would have to say that it doesn't feel like his heart's exactly in it um and likewise the the script is okay but you know it's like we've been saying it's extremely light it's overly simplistic in a lot of ways um but you know even but we kind of have to remember that this was basically made for kids 
mostly. Um, and the, I think that one of the bad parts about the, the script overall is that it's really loaded with coincidences, uh, which is always just kind of, it's just bad writing, uh, in general. Um, I do like that the, uh, the heroes have to rely a bit on their wits, uh, to save them because they can't rely on technology, uh, like they normally do in these sorts of things. So you get a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of gunshots and a lot of having to use gasoline to, to light things up and, uh, and all this sort of stuff. Um, you know, the heroes are forced to take action and I kind of like that. Uh, it's a bit more of something that might've been in like, um, uh, an issue of uh, Weird War Tales or one of the uh, the War of the Time for God stories from DC. So there's another comic book uh, reference for you there. Boom. Yeah. Uh, actually, too. Um, over the years, I have certainly seen a lot of dummy falls, uh, but I have seen very few that end with the dummy catching an outcropping to save itself. Uh, and that happens here. Yeah, that's so pretty cool. <laughs> it's a very special little moment uh, that you will... Uh, You'll blink and uh, they milk. Well, have to do a double take on. They milk every moment they can out of that dummy and that climbing back up that mountain. <laughs> oh, big time, big time. Um, you get possibly the uh, the worst island wedding in the history of cinema, uh, or at least certainly one of the more ill-timed and short-lived uh, island weddings in the history of cinema. Um, and the ending has. Uh, one of the um, one of the more fun, like semi-tragic endings that the the non-Godzilla movies uh, had. Yeah. Um, and you know, Honda definitely always liked the idea of uh nature writing itself, and you know, setting setting things straight again. And I think that's certainly the case here, as it was in you know. Uh, War of the Gargantulas, Frankenstein Conquers the World, uh, a whole raft of these movies. Rodan, the first Rodan. Um, he liked this idea of uh, you know of nature being like, yeah, you guys can't be here right now, so it gets rid of them. Uh, it gets rid of them for us. Um, and he also does you know his little uh, sort of um, bow uh, at the end with the the characters kind of lined up on a hillside to uh to kind of say goodbye to the audience and yeah. uh a little mark of his. And that's a very human thing too right i mean the nature does right itself at some point you know mother nature will win well yeah because yeah because that's the whole thing is that uh you know we meddled in nature and now nature's going to show you that you are in fact a uh, little more than a speck and uh, kind of like uh i guess uh, i guess in a way of uh talking about lovecraft um yeah he was uh, he was a guy who was who was big on uh you are probably the most insignificant thing in the universe so get used to it yeah. and i think that that's kind of that same uh, same idea going on there where it's like you know well look what i could do uh and then nature you know kind of gets the rolled up newspaper and smacks us on the nose with it um and that's that you know that's one of the things that we get here but i think that yeah uh as far as this particular movie uh yeah i it's it's one of the ones that um uh, for me, I caught way, way, way long ago, back when it was called Yog Monster from Space. Uh, and I caught it like late night um, somewhere and was just fascinated with it, as as these things tended to do to me. Um, and yeah, it was always kind of an outlier, uh, but I wanted to uh, to get it in there because it's a little bit, a little bit left to center um, as far as these things go, even though it kind of still fits the bill. 
uh, and you know, hits all of the uh, hits all of the stops that these movies tend to do. Um, and I I still do have a soft spot for it, but I mean, obviously, looking at it now, uh, and with a, a much more critical eye, uh, it doesn't quite uh, live up to what it used to for me. Uh, I still enjoy it a lot. I still think that you know, as far as um, as far as these types of things go, you could do a hell of a lot worse. Oh yeah. Uh, and Honda, you know, I mean, the guy was a consummate professional, uh, and uh, he certainly brought um, all of his considerable talents to bear on this thing as much as uh, well as much as the material was uh, was willing to give uh, uh, on it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't really got much to, much more to add. I think we've. Uh, we talked about everything that I can think of to to put in there, but uh, yeah, I, I still like this one. And like I said, it is on it is on Prime, uh, the English version, uh, for those of you who uh, who would like to see it. Um, so yeah, check it out. Uh, kick it over to you for uh, for Make or Breaks in that. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see here. Make or Break. I'm gonna go with when the skid squid character the skid. The squid <laughs> character comes out of the uh, ocean because at that point I was like, okay. All bets are off. Uh-huh. Now things have changed. But it is one of those mind-blowing moments where I'm kind of like, wow, that uh, I didn't expect it. I don't know why I didn't expect it, but I didn't. And uh, it works. That's pretty cool. Uh, MVT, I'm going to go with Honda. I don't really know if I can go with anybody else on this one. At least I can off the top of my head. I think that's where I'll go. Mm-hmm. And score for this one, 6.5. I enjoyed it. I, I did. I mean, I... It's not, it's not a banger, but no. it, it's pretty solid for what it is. I was surprised at how much I did enjoy it. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, okay, so, um, yeah, make or break. We are we are a hundred percent in line with. Uh, it's uh, yeah, it's when Gezra does his first big walk across the island. Uh, it's a lot of fun to see. It's really just kind of. Uh, marvelous just to think about what they're what they're doing in general uh you know it's not often that you uh you see a giant squid i always um, think about those guys in those pools you know i mean those are big rubber suits that can't be easy to move no, no. in water no, no, no. yeah and it, they do just and it was all that uh that foam rubber so it just soaks up fucking yeah it's gotta soaks be heavy up water like a sponge yeah it's gotta be heavy oh god yeah um and I'm I'm sure there are horror stories you could uh, you could hear about you know guys just sweating pools <laughs> into the feet of these fucking things or, or breaking their fucking hips oh, and yeah, still near, working or nearly drowning. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Or you know when they would whenever they would shoot like a missile or something and light these fucking things on fire. It's like where are you gonna go? Nowhere. Uh, so. Uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's make or break for me. MVT, I'm gonna go with the effects, uh, because, um, it really kind of, I think the movie really kind of lives or dies on it. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, Honda does, uh, very well photographing it, but, uh, I think at the end of the day, if the effects don't work, uh, this particular movie isn't going to work or at least not work as well as it does. Um, score i'm slightly higher than you i'm a seven out of ten but i think that that's uh that extra half point is really kind of more a nostalgia thing for me um because that's still kind of there uh i do you know realize that the movie has uh it's fair share of deficiencies uh but uh it's still entertaining for uh for an 84 minute little uh science fiction 
thing to uh, to plot along to. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, that's pretty much it, man. Nice. All right, that's our thoughts on Space Amoeba. For those of you who haven't seen it, it is out there. It's on Amazon Prime if you got that. Mm-hmm. So check it out. We're going to take a short break. We'll come back and discuss NARC from 2002. NARC. NARC. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know, I got to get paid. 25 lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know, I got to get paid. I got 25 lighters on my 25 folks. Billy's got to get paid, baby. <laughs> I think we all do. He's got twenty-five of everything. Yeah, well, I mean that's what you know. That's what happens. You get twenty-five of something, you got to figure it out. <laughs> I don't know where to put all of them. <laughs> I don't feel like the material he's singing about is about Sesame Street type twenty-fives, though. Ah, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> All right. So our next film is uh, Narc. 2002 uh or 2003 2002 whatever it is but i can't believe how old this film is at this point and uh that's still something i'm processing from last week (laughs) um this one stars jason patrick ray liotta john mcbride uh, a few other folks uh directed by joe carnahan when the trail goes cold on a murder investigation of a policeman and undercover narcotics officers lured back to the force to help solve the case um, so this one's written and directed by Joe Carnahan and it's kind of his kind of coming out, uh, as far as a filmmaker, he had made a film before this, um, I think kind of a gangster movie. He kind of had a bit of a Tarantino vibe and he still does have a little bit of that. Uh, he's got a certain macho kind of style, no doubt. Uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. He hasn't really done that much, but he's done a lot of TV uh lately but he's got some stuff coming up um but uh yeah we'll see we'll see uh we'll see what he's got going on he's got some interesting stuff i think uh is he doing the remake of the raid the american i believe he is yeah yeah don't know how i feel about that but you know it i understand it is hollywood 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is what it is. But he's got some other stuff coming out that's pretty interesting. Well, I, I really like his A team. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I, I like the gray a lot. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Smoking aces was hit and miss, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, he's 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 uh, definitely uh, he's got talent. He definitely does. Uh, I, I think he makes a certain kind of film really well. Mm-hmm. He's almost like an American Guy Ritchie. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That's actually a pretty apt, uh, yeah, apt comparison there. I yeah. think so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this one uh, I know Billy Freakin's a huge fan of it. Um, I, I I have my opinions. Uh, I don't know when's I don't know when's the last time you watched this. I don't know how many times you've seen it. Uh, this would be the second time. There we go. So let's get into it. My love of uh, Jason Patrick and uh, it shines but, through yet again. But that's not really the one I love in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really think this is Jason Patrick's movie. I definitely think this is mm, Ray Liotta's no. movie. And I think, you know, Leota, I think he's underrated a lot of times. Uh, I think he's got a unique look and a unique delivery. And easily, easily, nobody can argue this with me, one of the most unique laughs in cinema history. Yeah, 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 yeah. This comes out well, of you, nowhere. Yeah, yeah you're, you're big, that's, a, that's a big attraction for you uh, to begin with. I mean, look at Orson Welles. Yes, yes. I, I like when people have a unique quality to them that makes them kind of different than... You know, they just stand out more. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, Leota's got this thing he does where he'll be talking. I'm like, yeah, this is what I think about. And then he'll just be like, <laughs> you know, and he'll just get going. And I'm like, where, where's this laugh coming from? This maniacal <laughs> cackle, you know, where is it coming from? You know, and mm-hmm. it's kind of, uh, it's it's describable yet kind of indescribable or undescribable. I don't know what the word is, but anyway, let's hear what you think on your revisit. All righty. Uh, so as, uh, as you and I had spoken about off air, we do start off with a whole hell of a lot of handheld, uh, camera running, uh, footage, um, which, uh, yeah, uh, I am not a fan of that sort of thing no. when it's done poorly, but I think here, uh, it is to serve a purpose. So mm-hmm, I'm a little mm-hmm. bit more lenient on it and especially, you know, I'm thankful that, uh, it does steady and steady out enough uh, yeah. to be able to tell what's happening pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, um, a lot of the movies shot handheld, but I think that stuff at the beginning. I mean, it is even for me, it is a lot. But yeah, it I really think is. There's there's frames cut out. You can tell that there's moments where there's like jump cuts and frames yep. cut out and stuff. So it's done with some style, and I think that helps too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, like I said, I mean, it, it, it's to a purpose. So, yeah. and and certainly the the playing with it uh, is a bit more. I'm a little bit more lenient on on that sort of thing. Um, but the the moment that we get into here is pretty rough go. Oh God, yeah. Uh, and I know that at least I uh, almost immediately put myself in the Jason Patrick character's place. You know, what would I do? Uh, and I think that the film is largely. It's about living in a world where that's kind of regular for you. Um, and I think that uh, it's really, you know, that's what uh, what makes this kind of special in, in a lot of ways. Um, the the Patrick character, he's this, uh, he's, you know, grizzled and tortured. Uh, and we know this not only by his appearance, but because, you know, um, the very first shot of the movie is uh, a handheld close-up of him in, you know, deep thought, 
you know, and with a, a heavy blue filter. Uh, so it's, you know, it's coded that way, you know, right off the, right off the gate. Um, we also know he's edgy because he, uh, he wears a, a knee length leather jacket. Um, well, he's which, got a white trash mustache here that, uh, Oh, big time with yeah. a, with a yeah, flavor yeah. saver mixed in. <laughs> he's fucking hitting the bases man. uh dude listen i had a leather jacket back in the 90s in the 90s okay he's got it in the in the 2000s and yeah. it's down to his fucking knees yeah it's that's issues one. it's a heavy it's a heavy there's jacket. trouble at home yeah uh and uh we of course learned that uh learned later on that you know uh the, the character has his own job related demons um yes but you know Carnahan, I, I've noticed that he really tends to favor the uncomfortable close-up throughout the movie. Um, he wants things tight. He wants things claustrophobic and interior and focusing on details and um, sort of trying to read the characters' minds. Uh, and when he, you know, when when he does move the camera on a dolly, um, there moves to make the most of very small spaces. Like he'll move around somebody's office just to kind of give us a uh, kind of play around the, um, uh, in the same way that Lumet did the, uh, you know, with 12 angry men, uh, to just give us a little bit of a different angle, uh, to keep things visually interesting. And he does it very well. Uh, it's a solid, solid, it's a solid direction going on, uh, behind the camera here. Um, we get three instances of, uh, of children, uh, going on here. First of all, uh, Jason Patrick is involved in uh, an incident where one's killed. Um, he's working on a case uh, where the victim was expecting a child, uh, and he has a child of his own. So you know this idea of wanting to you know protect uh, for himself what he couldn't do for others is at least a partial motivator mm-hmm. uh, for his character and yeah. you know it's a pretty strong motivator and I think that would uh, it's something that um, Carnahan uses to uh, to pull us in and put us in uh, in line with him even though yeah he's a he's certainly a flawed character he's, he's gone down the road where uh, he was um, uh, using drugs uh, because he was undercover and all this stuff. Uh, and it's that sort of thing that uh, that happens when you're a narc. So, um, yeah, I can't imagine. Finally... I can't imagine being a narcotics undercover narcotics officer with a family. Neither could I. Uh, I. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you know you have to be divested of uh, emotional attachments because of what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you if you have the, if you have to go home to something, I mean, I I can't imagine. Um, that sort of compartmentalization that you would have to to engage into to be able to do those things. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, you know, and even to to be on the the opposite end of that, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be uh, the person that that's coming home to, uh, with what uh, you know the emotional baggage, the the, the weight uh, or guilt or what have you, that the person who was living with that would have to put up with. I mean, it must be unreal. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I I, I, I couldn't uh, I I couldn't wrap my head around that one at all. Mm. Um, so uh, we meet the Leota character, uh, and we uh, we learn three things. We learn that um, he's not afraid of breaking rules. Uh, we learn that he's dangerous, and he has a certain sense of honor and justice that the uh, the system can't satisfy. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, right from this first, uh, this first big scene that we get with the sit down, uh, between the two characters, I think that Leota really brings his all here. Um, 
and uh, yeah, uh, out of the the two uh, out of the two leads, uh, he is certainly uh, he's certainly on top uh, for me at least. Yeah. Um, he's yeah. he's owning pretty much every scene that he's in. Yeah, he's he's um, somewhat over the top, but not well. He's too just far. over the top enough. Yeah. Yeah, not too far. I mean, Leota's he can do that. He can he can be menacing and quiet, but he can also go completely over the top. Mental. Yeah. And uh he's he's got a natural ability with that. I don't know where that comes from. I don't know what that is, but mm-hmm. it's certainly uh, it's certainly pretty impressive what he can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, no, no, I, I agree. And uh and Carnahan really takes pains to uh, to kind of build up the relationship with him and uh, and Jason Patrick uh, alongside the investigation, so you know we're on their side, uh, and I think that it makes us much more invested in some of their decisions and actions uh, down the road. Um, the the, uh, the stakeout scene, for example, where they talk about wives yeah, uh, and really Carnahan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Carnahan really gives Leota. Uh, well, doesn't really. He just gives him uh, a couple of uh, flashback shots there. Um, and in a way, I think that the the story itself is uh, is that sort of one last job type deal uh, that we get, uh, where usually it's um, usually it's a criminal pulling off one last heist, or you know, uh, an assassin pulling off one last hit, or something. And here it's you know, it's a narc pulling off one last uh, undercover job, more or less. Yeah, because he wants a desk um, job. Patrick's character wants a desk job because he's got he a family. He wants a desk job. Yeah, yeah, he's got a family now. He wants. He wants out of the uh, undercover cop business, which again makes total sense because it sure. makes no sense for him to be there. And there's a really powerful scene in the movie where I think you know, a, a really real to me, at least feels real to me, mm-hmm. an argument between a husband and a wife with a crying baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if if you are listening to this show and you're a married man or a married woman and you have a child and and you've never had a fight with your significant other, well, bravo. But I I, I will say that. You know, husbands and wives argue. It is just it's part of the natural balance of things and I have never had an argument yeah. with my significant <laughs> but, other. But the you know, the crying baby in the mix adds a level of anger tension. and tension to the whole thing that is mm-hmm. really like nails on a chalkboard in a way. Like you you can tell Patrick wants to explode, but he can't. He's holding a child. Mm-hmm. So it's very it's a very interesting moment, and I think the movie's full of moments like that. I think the surprising thing going back and watching this, I remember liking it the first time I watched it, but I think what I was most surprised by going back and looking at this thing was that Carnahan takes moments to develop these guys outside of just being cops. I think it would be yes. easy for yeah. Leota to be very black and white, but he's a very conflicted and complicated character. Uh, maybe a bit right wing, but he's got these angers, these anger issues that come from somebody he loves being hurt, somebody he loved yeah. being hurt. And there, there's some there's some movie dynamics here, and some some mystery involved, and there's a little bit. And I don't know if they, I don't even know if that stuff's. I mean, it works, but I don't even know if it's important. I think what's important in the movie is just these two gentlemen trying to survive in a world that seems like it's going to shit. Yeah, no, we and we understand we understand the whys of of you know what these guys are doing. We may not approve, sure, but we get. I mean, they give us enough gray. Can you to, imagine to not make them? Yeah, I mean, there is no there is no true black and white in in the in the in the movie. Can you imagine every day getting up to go to work and that's the kind of shit you deal with? 
Uh, no. No, I couldn't. I mean, I already have an opinion of the human race. <laughs> oh, man. I, 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 I think it takes a special person to do that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, well, I think it takes a, a, a special person to, uh, to do it for altruistic reasons, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, no, but, uh, yeah, my, getting off my more moral soapbox. Um, the movie makes very nice use of, uh, of split screens, uh, and gives us a bit of, uh, of, um, of a, a look at uh, what cops go through pounding the pavement, questioning people. Uh, and it also, there's this particular sequence that works nicely as a, a transitional device. Uh, and we get a little bit of a twofer there. You could see a lot of, I think, uh, a lot of uh, Tony Scott influence going on here. Ah, uh, yeah. Or Oliver Stone, you know, take your pick. Yeah. Um, even the other Scott, the, even, yeah, even the other Scott brother a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in some of the editing, you know, there's there's multiple fast cuts of different angles of the same action. You know, a lot of high contrast imagery. Uh, I mean, you want to talk about movies that would look good in black and white. Uh, both of these movies, actually, this week mm-hmm. would yeah. be uh, would be interesting to look at in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, so do 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 do. Okay, so uh, yeah, uh, where the fuck was I? There I am. Okay. So uh, we do get a, uh, a lot of flashbacks uh, in the movie, uh, and they're almost all uh, subjective. So there's, uh, there's, like, uh, there's a murder. Uh, there's uh, Jason Patrick when he's using. There's Ray Liotta when he's beating a scumbag. Uh, they're you know, reconstructing what happened uh, to the guy in the bathtub. Uh, but the point, I think, is that they're all personal and therefore not necessarily trustworthy and i think that's a lot of what uh, carnahan is building the story on um because we get just enough uh, out of all of these little flashbacks that we that we know is true uh and i think that truth is ultimately the film's main theme or at least one of the main themes um going on here uh, yeah. speaking of which, I think the movie's pretty tightly written. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing wasted, uh, and the pieces all go together. Um, and there's a really big turn, uh, at about the halfway point that changes the dynamic. Um, but it also continues the larger aspect of, uh, finding the truth, uh, because nothing's more important, uh, uh, because the, um, Jason Patrick character believes he can make things make sense by doing what he's doing. Uh, and I, I'm trying not to give anything away because I, I don't want to, but yeah, uh, I mean, there's, there's a huge revelation. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's interesting what you say. I think, you know, the movie is a, is a search for truth mm-hmm. and, but not just with the story elements, but with, within the characters themselves. Yes. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, and, it's, it's and whether or not deep. they want to lie to themselves. Yeah. Uh, about uh, about what they do and why they do it and all that sort of thing. Yeah, it's pretty deep for a cop film. Yeah. But, no. But, no. It is. But I think it's going for the things. I think Carnahan. You know, obviously, he's probably a fan of the French Connection and and you know, cop films of the seventies. Where I think you know, cop films of the seventies. I think we're going for that more. You know, kind of right, this right. this kind of morality of being a cop and. uh I think that's what he's kind of going for here, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we finally get to this uh, the warehouse sequence, 
uh, and it's pretty extensive, uh, but it's also the most intense in a movie that's pretty intense, you know, as is. Um, but once we get to this point, the revelations that we get aren't really all that comforting. You know, the truth is, uh, as we find out in the movie, um, is, you know, pretty ugly. Uh, and here, at least, we finally believe it, even though the flashback um, that we get that tells us the truth is now from a third party. Um, it's the most, you know, the third party being the most innately untrustworthy character in the movie. Um, but what this, uh, what this all does is, you know, lays everything bare, but even once we get through this and get through the climax of the movie, uh, we get to the end and it's still not all black and white because the movie, um, does not really give us any easy pat solution to make everything better. Um, and the moment that it leaves us with is uh, is one of um, of amb- well ambiguity uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and it, like like you said, I think it's a very it's a very seventies sort of uh, ending. Although it's a bit more a bit more uh, hanging on uh, than some of those movies were. Um, some of those movies tend to be a little bit more nihilistic. Here, it's just. Um, sort of, uh, I don't want to say indecision, but that's the only word that's coming to my head. Uh, but that's the wrong word to use. So, uh, I'll stop chasing that, uh, chasing that line down. Um, and then finally, uh, you know, I get a kick out of the fact that, uh, Jason Patrick refers to Buster Rhymes as, uh, as Coolio. Uh, I thought that was a nice little jab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So there, there, uh, there's some ugly language in the movie, no doubt. Oh, there is. Yeah. 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 Um, well, just because you know he he calls one rapper a different rapper, I got to kick out. Well, of- not only that, but I mean, you got moments where Ray Liotta's using derogatory comments towards certain, sure certain races, and you know, I, I mean, again, if you're sensitive to those kind of things, you need to be warned. But I mean, it's well, sadly, I mean, it whether you like it or not, it's a reality that it happens. Should yeah, it happen? Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't happen. But I mean, you know. People are people, and they do stupid things, and you know. Well, I think if you're going into a movie like this, and you're not expecting at least a little bit of something like that in there, to, you know, I mean, you should be, you should pretty much know that uh, you you got a pretty good chance that you're going to have that. Yes, I don't think you need. I don't think I don't. I think there's a certain sensitivity level, level that you need to uh, to kind of um, get rid of if you're going to dive into a movie like this because yes. it's not gonna it's not gonna play nice. Just because no. of your feelings, it's so gonna, yeah, it's going to play a bit more real than that. And sure, and that's and, and that's reality for better or worse. So yeah, yeah, whether we like it or not. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Is that all you got? That's all I got. Um, I, I yeah, I think my revisit with this was mostly it wasn't Jason Patrick related, although I guess subliminally in some way, after watching the Beast of War, I I probably was looking through Patrick's filmography. He's got an interesting filmography. He's a guy who I know um, takes pride in what he picks, but some of the stuff he picks, he shouldn't take pride in. Yeah, right. It's a strange career in a weird way. I think he's he's always been good. He's good in just about everything he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's good in this. Well, I mean, look at look at his pedigree. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's really good in this. I mean, he's he's a natural actor, and he's really good in this. And I think he's. 
I think he, you know, I think originally when he hit the scene, you know, he's a good looking guy. So I think mm-hmm. that they tried to use him for things that I don't think he wanted to be part of. Mm-hmm. I think he wanted to be an actor more like his dad. Um, and more like the, the films he probably grew up on or grew up on the sets of, or who knows? I don't, I don't really know a whole lot about Patrick's youth, but he, he seems that way. And Leota, you know, again, this is a guy who, you know, I guess he hit the scene really in uh, something wild, I guess, right? That would be the Jonathan Demi film yes, where he plays an off-kilter character. So he's always had that ability, and he's very memorable in that film. And then, of course, you know, he's gets front and center for uh, Goodfellas, which is a, mm-hmm. is a big break when you're talking about working with Scorsese and stuff and being front and center. And it's an incredibly memorable performance as well. And obviously a narration, a driven performance, and he's very memorable in that. And then, you know, he does this where he's playing another type of character. But I think the heft he brings uh, to the roles he, he he plays is pretty impressive. I, he was my favorite thing in The Place Between the Pines and and a few other films that I've seen over the years that haven't been as great. He's always been good in them. I mean, mm-hmm. he he he's him and Patrick both. They're always good, and I think that's the key to this movie. I think not only is it well-written, I totally agree with you. I mean, the story is very well told. Mm-hmm. Um, you never really feel like there's there's not too much fat on the story. It's kind of, it's pretty lean. The movie's only a 103 minutes, maybe. Yeah. And it, it moves along at a pretty good pace. I mean, I guess maybe at some points it slows down a little bit, but... Honestly, because of the pace of the movie, I think it almost has to slow down a little bit to kind of give you a moment to catch your breath. Because mm-hmm. it's well, it's intense. Yeah, yeah, it's it's hitting you with. There's a level of nihilism and negativity here. It's it's almost transgressive. It's it, it it's an ugly movie in some ways, but yet I think there's a lot of redemption in the story, and uh, I think it's a it's a positive cop movie in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, and. Uh, if anybody could use some positivity nowadays, it would probably be the police force. <laughs> yeah. There's not a lot of prettiness going on out there in the world right now. So, um, yeah, I always think, you know, every time I watch a movie, I think to myself, you know, what would I do in that position, you know, as, as the president or as the whatever, and or even a criminal, because, you know, a mastermind criminal is basically a manager. So, I mean, I think to myself, you know, what would I do in these situations? You know, how do these people live normal lives? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so, but this is, you know, these guys are really, you know, at least as far as movies cops go, it feels like they're really living the lifestyle of cops. And uh, it seems like a world to me full of, I don't know, pain pills and cigarettes and alcohol, anything you can do to get by because you're constantly surrounded by all this negativity and all these sad people who have got problems well you very very rarely see the best in people yeah and I, you know there's a great conversation we go back to that conversation in the car and they talk about working vice mm-hmm. and you know vice is a lot of cops uh the stories you'll read and stuff vice is a people want to get out of that because mm-hmm. you know when you're dealing with people and you're dealing with their vices it, it, it's a never-ending battle mm-hmm. it's never going to go away it's going to be around till the end of time. <laughs> uh, and that's just the way it is. And, you know, you can fight it, but, you know, I'm sure the, and I'm sure there's stories out there where policemen, you know, arrest, you know, one hooker, or one drug addict and 
only to have him watch him go free and then rearrest him again a couple weeks later. Mm-hmm. And it just it just feels like an insurmountable task. But there's this. Well, level- it, you 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 get to you get you, you you. I'm sure you come to a certain existential moment where you know you know you get that sort of what's it all about, Alfie kind of deal. Yeah. You know why am I doing this when it doesn't work? Yeah. Exactly. Why am I doing this when the system is completely against me? The system that I have devoted myself to is not doing what it said it was going to do. It's not holding up its end of the bargain, even though that I am. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm sure that there are, you know, there's, uh, there's certain things that, uh, that, you know, you got to wrestle with on some level. Uh, and either, I mean, like I said, either you can dissociate yourself from those sorts of things or you can't. Yeah. Uh, and I think most people, if you're, if you're an actual human being and not a sociopath, I think that you can't. Yeah. I think you're right. Uh, unfortunately, I think, you know, that the, the other side of the coin is out there just as much as well. And I think that's why we will always have, you know, good versus bad, black versus white, white versus black, uh, green versus purple. I think you always have that because there's, you know, I don't think it has anything to do with color. I think it has more to do with power and perception and, and this, this, you know, societal ills in general, um, don't get me wrong. I'm not belittling that by any stretch of the imagination. I think there is a long way to go and a lot of work that needs to be done, but, um, we certainly got to start somewhere. And, um, uh, you know, I think one of the more interesting things about this film too is, you know, we talked about the writing and the little moments that I think Carnahan's very smart in giving characters, you know, he gives, he gives us just enough of Patrick's home life. He gives us just an. He doesn't really give us too much of Leota's personal life, although we find out as we go along more, and things start to make more sense. Um, there's a great moment when Leota shows up at the house that the uh, Patrick characters went there to interview the uh, wife of the dead cop, and uh, Calves's cop uh, wife. Uh, Calves's cop wife. Calves's uh, wife. And uh, first of all, there's a great moment where she says she ca- the little girl carries around her dad's T-shirt, which is just fucking heartbreaking as all get out to me. Mm. Uh, just because, you know, I have a little girl here at home and, you know, she, you know, just the idea that, you know, I would be gone and that the only thing they could remember me by is a T-shirt. Uh, it just, that just fucking tugs at the heartstrings for me. But also the moment that uh, of danger that's in Leota's face when he realizes that Patrick's there. And he's like... Uh, can, I, can you step outside for a second? I mean, it's just uh-huh. like there's like this, you know, this slash, this lashing that he takes like right in front of uh, this this female character uh, that he's gonna just he's gonna rip him apart. And there's a lot of great moments in this. There's a lot of great moments where Patrick is trying to work things out, and uh, you know, without giving anything of the story away for anybody who hasn't seen it, there's a lot of moments where you know we're working it out with him, and I think mm-hmm. that's very smart too because I think you know. Red herrings are one thing, but in this, you're not only getting the red herring, you're also getting the character working through the red herring, which is what the audience is supposed to do, too. Mm-hmm. So I think that that works very well. The st- style of the movie is shot in, it's it's very adrenalized, but at the same time, it is very 70s influenced. Like, uh, I think Carnahan knows when to stop. He knows when to back off of the, the Guy Ritchie-isms. Uh, not that they're prevalent. This guy Richie's definitely got more. You know, he's definitely more obsessed with slow motion and stuff like that. You don't really see a lot of that here. Uh, not slow well, motion. Well, guy, guy Richie's also in a, in a much more um, elevated reality sort of thing going on. Sure, sure. It's much more stylized. Uh, yeah. His his gangsters. And it's glamorizing and, it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Even more so. I mean, even I think smoking aces is much more closer to a guy Richie style 
Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But even then, it's not quite the glorification that Guy Ritchie brings to it. I mean, because mm-hmm. he he certainly loves gangster characters, and and uh, again, I don't think he loves gangsters. But you know, I think you can love a genre, and uh, you know, Scorsese loves gangsters too. Uh, I think that you know it, it it's ripe for drama and uh and storytelling but you know your love of those characters too the coolness of them or the lack thereof can kind of shine through sometimes and i don't think carnahan yeah i agree i mean i don't think he gives us uh, there's no glory in being a criminal in this movie certainly no, no. um and uh it, i think that's one of the smartest things it does you know i, I can't remember what there was some critics that really disliked this film and i don't remember if it was the level of cut there is a lot of cussing in this movie <laughs> I had to, you know, as a guy who's watched a ton of movies with cuss words in them in my lifetime, for me to go, Jesus, you know, (laughs) for Spike Lee to go, whoa, you know, (laughs) I mean, that's, this movie is, uh, it's ripe on the F-bomb. I mean, it's, uh, wow. I think, uh, I think at one point somebody says motherfucking fuck fuck or something like that, <laughs> which yeah, it it it, uh, it drops more uh, more f bombs than me. Yeah, uh, to be honest, which is impressive. Yeah, that's saying a lot. I mean, because I mean, I know yeah, right? I, I mean, I drop that word a lot, and I've been known to use it, you know, two or three times in a sentence before. But I mean, even me, there's moments, especially in the garage scene, there's moments when it's like, of course, it's an amped up situation, and mm. you know cursing is a is a way of expressing yourself in an amped up situation um and it, it works it's just you know I, I can't remember what the critiques of the film were i really can't i don't remember if it was because it was so nihilistic or or what it was you know 2002 i would imagine i would imagine that um most uh most reviewers would have uh liked the ambiguities of it yeah as they tend to do it's funny the uh the uh, one of the pieces of trivia is the movie had 21 producers which is more speaking parts than there are in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, you got to get it made, you got to get it made. Well, right? that's yeah, yeah. I got to when, get when made. You, yeah, you know. <laughs> there you go. 25 lighters. Yeah. It says Ray Liotta gained 25 pounds. Hey, where's back with 25 it. for about eating foods heavy in carbohydrates. I'll tell you what I am. Uh, I'm on pace to uh, to top him at this yeah. point. He ate a lot of Chinese food. Uh, that uh, that's what he says in the uh, thing. So now I'm hungry. Yeah, I am too. Okay, here it is. So I didn't know this, but I was looking through the trivia just in case they had the word "fuck" is and its variations are said 298 times. Wow, that rivals Scarface. <laughs> that is up there. Uh, that is uh, impressive. <laughs> <laughs> So I remember one of the other stories I did read, and they got it here in the trivia, but I do remember uh, one of the other stories I did read was that uh, Patrick and Leota basically, they basically did this movie for pretty much free. Mm-hmm. Uh, they this they felt strong about the material. They felt like it was a good story, and I think they took stuff on the back end for it. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if it made much money. Looks like it cost $6 million and made $10 million. So I'm sure they got a little bit of money out of the deal. Probably the one of the things that's most impressive about the movie. Clearly, some of it's shot in Detroit, but a majority of it is shot in Toronto. <laughs> Which is okay. Well, yeah, yeah, I it, could see that. It's pretty impressive uh, because they really sell the Detroit. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. With the skylines and stuff like that, and of course, you know, Detroit's not too far from Canada, and but it is a little bit further from Toronto. And I can tell you from being to both cities, 
from being there. They are not the same, <laughs> but uh, they do a good job. They do a good job. And obviously there's some interior stuff. They could shoot a lot of the interior stuff in Canada because uh, there is quite a bit of it. You know, they could have shot the garage in Canada. They could have shot the apartment complexes in Canada. Uh, that apartment complex with the with the uh, the scene in the beginning with the girl, the kids, mm-hmm. um, they could have shot that. But yeah, I mean, it made twice its money back. So I mean, it it was a hit. Yeah, I'd say any, hit. Yeah, I'd say anything that doubles its money is probably you know doing all right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think you know the movie's incredibly quotable. But I think that moment you're talking about during the uh, the stakeout, it is probably one of the best. Um, oh, it's a great little, yeah, it's a great little, uh, it, it really lets uh, Leo to shine a yeah, lot. Yeah, it does. I mean, he's got some great, uh, dialogue in that and, um, he just, I mean, it's a great storytelling moment too. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's wonderful. <laughs> I was just looking at some of the lines of dialogue in here and there's one part where Leo says, come on, come on, say fuck you again. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there it is. Now fucking Coolio tried to blow my head off. Yep. Yeah. There are no lawyers, dumb fuck. It's just me and you, and I am in your shit for the duration. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, a lot of great lines. Um, <laughs> oh man, never too cold for pussy. There's that is a line in this movie. That is, uh, I just remembered that line. Yeah. Uh, no. Anyway, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't really have a whole lot more to add. I mean, I, I can see why Freakin liked it. it it's got a certain. Uh, French Connection type feel. I think French Connection is one of the greatest cop movies. I do, honestly. The first original French Connection. I like French Connection Part 2 as well, but uh, I really do think it's one of the great cop movies. But it, it certainly got, you know, I mean, it feels like Freakin saw this and then, you know, a few years later, a decade later or so, a little bit more, he's like, you yeah, know, I think I could do something with Killer Joe. Mm. And the kind of nihilism and kind of ugliness. Although I think that's exaggerated and heightened as well, right? But still you know yeah i get a feel for it i I believe there is a leather jacket in killer joe though (laughs) i do believe killer joe wears one yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) these guys in their leather jackets man what is up with that yeah um everybody wanted to be dennis leary i guess at some point yeah i don't think the movie's perfect i think you know it does it does falter a bit in style and things but i think it's as as good as you're going to get for this kind of movie and certainly in the modern era uh for a cop movie it feels very, I don't know, it feels very real. It feels very unintruded on by technology. Everything feels very tangible. A lot of paperwork, a lot of making copies of files, mm-hmm. a lot of the police work you don't normally see. Yeah. And I think all that stuff works. There's almost a fetishism to the way Carnahan shoots it. Uh, Patrick's clearly got a, a messy way of working. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But. You know, that's how he processes things, and I think, you know, that's that's interesting. And then Leota's the opposite side. He's kind of like a wolf, kind of like a werewolf or a, a predator of some sort. He's almost wolf-like with that, that, that goatee. He's almost kind of, you know, canine-like, maybe is the better word. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and he's kind of predatory upon uh, criminals and, and perpetrators and stuff. And he, you just feel like he's, he's, out, he's, he's out for something more. It's very personal. And and you feel that at every moment with Ray Liotta's character in the movie, mm-hmm. and with Patrick, you feel like it's also personal, but it's also for him, it's a personal escape. Like he's trying, he doesn't want to become the Liotta character, and he's afraid he's going to become that. He's going to going to become this obsessed, uh, detrimental to his health, uh, 
good cop, but an ugly cop. Yeah, yeah. And, or uh, already is what, or already is him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's afraid of that, I think. And sure, he's smart enough to kind of see that that's where he's headed. And he rocks a toboggan slash toque like uh, <laughs> nobody's business in this movie. He wears it all the time, and I, I can't even see him without it at this point. <laughs> but I'll kick it over to you for Maker Breaks MVTs. All right. Uh, make or break, I'm going to go with the finale. Um, I mean, there's a lot to admire in here, but it's all, you know, it's, it's really, it, like I said before, it's extensive and it's, it all plays out um, very well. Executed, uh, works fantastically well. Um, and it really is memorable. And, it, you know, I love that. I love where it uh, it dumps you off at the end. Um, and uh, the credit that it gives to the audience i'll leave it i'll leave it like that uh mvt um i'd like to give it to carnahan but i'm gonna give it to leota um he really does bring an energy and this certain charming menace uh to uh to every frame that he's in uh you know we like him and we hate him and we understand him whether or not we agree with him um and uh score for me i'm gonna go 7.75 out of 10 nice um yeah i mean this is a rock solid uh cop movie and certainly uh of its own thing while being heavily influenced by uh by great uh great stuff of the past uh yeah. and i would love to see more stuff like this so yeah yeah, we'll see what Carnahan's got up his sleeve. We'll see what he does. Yeah, I mean, yeah well, I'm, I'll, I'm, I, I will put it this way. I'm interested to see what he does with the raid, but I'm still yeah, a little bit reticent on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah. It, here's the way I feel about that kind of stuff. I mean, you can remake it all day. It'll never compare to the original, so. No, no, no. But uh, I am still interested in what he'll do with that, uh, with that product. Yeah. With that brand or with that uh, story. You hate to say that that way, but that's what it is, right? It's a remake. Yep. You know, a lot of people didn't watch the original because it's uh, not an American film. So, you know, not everybody loves every film like we do. (laughs) All films. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Okay, uh, my make or break. I'm going to go with that stakeout scene. Uh, I agree with you when you said that thing's really well written, and it is. It's a great scene. It kind of shows the boredom of being a cop sometimes. There's a lot of waiting around, hurry up and wait type situations. There's a lot of that. Um, but, um, Leota's kind of confessional storytelling in that moment is, is pretty powerful, very well acted. I mean, I think, you know, Carnahan's really smart in that he lets these guys pause so much in movies, especially if you look back at old movies from the forties and fifties, everything was like, get as much dialogue in as possible, move the story along. Mm -hmm. But of course, acting changed a lot when people started to mumble and just kind of look at the camera and stuff. Well, and, and so did technology as well. Yes. And a lot of acting, I think, as much as it's announcing and pronouncing dialogue and getting the story across, you know, I, I do agree with what Steve McQueen once said. You know, it's acting is as much reacting as it is actually saying anything. Mm-hmm. And it's true. I mean, there's a lot of really, there's some really great reaction shots from Jason Patrick in the backseat of that car while Leo just telling the story. Mm-hmm. You can tell, like, he's kind of caught up in the moment. Like, this guy is really fucking nailing it right now. <laughs> And it is, it's, it's, uh, you know, I'm surprised. I mean, to me, Leota should have been nominated for an Oscar for this. I don't think he was, but he should have been, uh, he's that good in the movie. 
I think the movie's quite ugly for an Oscar nomination, but uh, well, I think that's yeah, that's probably why. Yeah, I mean they don't they don't tend to nominate movies that are, you know, this kind of aggressive. Nasty. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that's kind of a shame because he's really that good in the movie. He really is. Uh, my MVT for in saying that is Leota. I, I think Carnahan did a better job when he directed The Gray, uh, although I think he does a really good job here. And he's got style. He's got style. He's got a certain way of shooting things. I watched his film Stretch, the Patrick Wilson limo driver movie. That movie is bonkers. Um, and then he went to TV for a while, and now he's back into movies. So we'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, man, he's a, he's an interesting guy, and I hope he – I hope he continues making movies. He doesn't work as much as I would like, but I'm hoping he'll get a nice little run going here. Maybe after this Raid remake comes out, maybe he'll get going again. So, Fingers crossed. I'm actually surprised he didn't get tapped or hasn't been tapped for a comic book film, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, actually, I could see him being a, a guy that would uh, would bring a lot to something like that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he just or at seems- least be able to handle it uh, with a certain facility. Yeah, I mean, he seems like the kind of guy that would handle the action fine. Mm-hmm. He would handle the conversations between characters, but he would certainly handle characters like Batman and Wolverine, characters we talked about earlier mm-hmm. that are kind of these more, uh, for lack of a better word, kind of dismal uh, <laughs> negative superheroes in a, in a weird way, right? I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know what I'm talking about, the kind of uh, yes. the Frank Miller-esque characters yes. that we love so much, which oddly... Grim and gritty. Yes, which... Oddly, you know, Frank and Frank and uh, had worked on both of those characters, right? Like, let's, uh, let, yeah. let's get a Daredevil reboot and let's get Joe Carhan involved. That's what, that, that, that's what we need to do right now. I'd be down for that. Definitely. Looks like he's got a an action movie coming out called uh, Cop Shop with uh, oh, Will, okay. Will's favorite, Jerry Butler, and Frank Grillo. I'll, I'll watch that. Ooh. I'll watch that. Frank Grillo could be. Yeah, he could he could be a he's you know he didn't get popular until his, in his fifties he could be the Bronson of the future for all I know <laughs> he really didn't hit his stride until he got about be about fifty years old no he didn't he's a good actor I like him yeah yep um all right and my score is an eight out of ten just a little bit higher than yours uh, but we're right in the same ballpark I mean this is a I think it's a you know it's eighteen years old now I mean I think this is a kind of a modern classic I don't I don't think people uh, give it enough. I think it was talked about quite a bit when it hit the scene, and then I think it disappeared. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I, yeah. I feel like, you know, talking about it, maybe we can get it back out there and people can check it out. So Yeah, hopefully. It's on Amazon Prime as well, so yes, jump in there. Uh, all right. Uh, that is the big show. Yeah. We, are, uh, we know what we're doing next week. Uh, we're kind of having a little in-joke fun with next week's show. So if you want to go ahead and tell folks what we're watching from your side. Uh, we are going to do The Cat, 1992 from Lam Nai Choi. Um, or AKA The Thousand Year Cat, which yeah. uh, is uh, a movie that's, uh, well, well, I'll leave it for next week. Yep. Never seen really it. Get into it. Never seen it. Oh, so. you haven't? No, I have not. Okay. Okay. So we'll get into it. Uh, and, uh, seems to be, uh, the way our show's going lately. You pick the Asian, I pick the American film. Um, yeah, right. but, uh, yeah, I, I had another thing picked, which I, we will do at some point in the near future, but I came so close to picking this one. And then when Todd told me what he was picking, I was like, I'm going back on it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been wanting to talk about this one on the show for a long time. I kind of wanted Will to see it, but unfortunately he's not around right now, but, uh, we'll be doing, uh, the bat. 
from uh, 19, uh, I think it's 53, 59. Wow, is it that late? I feel like it was earlier than that, but okay. Uh, But yeah, man, uh, this one's interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not. So, Uh, I had not seen this one. Ah, okay, okay. It'll be fun to talk about then. So look at that. First time watch for you, first time watch for me. Nice. And the bat is directed by Crane Wilbur. Yes, that's a hell of a name. That is. Wilbur Crane would be a much better way to go, I think, there. But hey. Right. But we get more Agnes Moorhead. We get some Agnes Moorhead in. We'll get some uh, Vincent Price. I'm always up for Moorhead. Yeah, that's that's right. You got it. Boom. More more head and more crabs. (laughs) Whenever possible. As you can tell. Well, you know, it's never too cold for pussy. We podcast for vice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow, we really went down a dark road there toward the back end of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. All right. Not safe for kids. Please don't listen no. to in front of them. Uh, Explicit. <laughs> that is the show. With that, I will say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.